0: My next guest is an endurance athlete and life coach who's on a mission to inspire the world to greatness with her foundation, Smile, You Woke Up. During our time together today, she shares her inspiring story of survival and secret to happiness despite a brain injury that changed her life forever. Trust me, this is a story you don't want to miss. Welcome to Beauty Aside. I'm your host Gentry Quinn, former high school dropout turned beauty entrepreneur. And each week I'm going to be serving you up some digestible beauty bites and inspiring stories that really flip the script on everything you think you know about the beauty and entertainment industry.
1: Hi guys, thank you so much for
0: letting me be here. Molly, I can't thank you enough for being here today to share your story. Before we jump into your incredible story, can you tell me what your life was like before this accident took place? What were your dreams, ambitions, and what
1: role did being an athlete play in your life? Mm, that is such a good question. So I'm going to start with the role that being an athlete played into my life and kind of work my way up from there. So in college, um, I was on the wakeboard water ski team, I was on the softball team. And I really thought that, you know, my life would revolve around athletics, whether that may be a coach, you know, being a coach in school, and helping others or being an athlete myself or both. And I did both. And then um You know, my direction, I wanted to do marketing and kinesiology, and my mother was an executive director of a college, so I'm like, oh, I can do it. Um, I at least will have like a supportive family and my mother is supportive on all levels always, not just with school. But um, I ended up taking too many credited hours and not really knowing what I wanted to do. So um, instead of picking one major, marketing or two majors, kinesiology and marketing, I decided to double major and minor and be involved in everything under the sun, working five jobs, bartending being one and then waitressing early in the morning at stomping grounds the coffee shop and having to be there at 5 a.m as the other so my work-life balance was so not in par nor aligned and um, so before the accident I was just, just this vivacious firecracker that wanted to do it all. And I thought that you know everything was attainable and Molly King can do it. I'm here, watch me roar. And I can, that's totally true. But it also is with you know understanding that there has to be a balance and putting yourself to a higher level of honorability. So before the accident, I didn't know that. I was unaware and I thought I could do it all. And then when I finally was put to a pause, from the accident um, and being in a coma and paralyzed, and I really couldn't do anything. I had to ask for help to use the restroom. I couldn't even walk there, and I couldn't talk. So, um, a lot of things have changed, and I just really have become grounded with my morals and my values, and instilled that were instilled with me way when I was younger, but also just like what has come from the past eight years that I can truly remember, because memory is also something that kind of went gone um, with the brain injury from my previous years. So bringing us up to speed, um, it's now opened the door for me to be exactly who I wanted to be, and that's to help others find their purpose. And so now I run a nonprofit, I'm a certified life coach. Um, I'm a co-author of a book, Just Love Me. I'm getting ready to launch another book called Pause in the next coming months. So it's led me to a whole new journey, but now I have a greater impact and purpose to help others.
0: That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Um, as, As painful as it may be, can you take us back to the day that you got your injury and just talk to us about what happened or what you, what you remember take away from
1: it. Absolutely. Well, I don't remember anything from the day of the accident. Um, I wasn't feeling well and um, I knew that I have stomach issues, but um, that is the one thing I remembered from that week. However, the accident um came at a really um, unexpected and timely time. However, two years after the accident, what I do remember in going back to that flashback in time was um, finding out what really um, may have happened in the accident. And with the accident in general, I know I'm bouncing around, so I'm gonna start from the beginning. Um, With the accident, what I remember is 22 days waking up in the hospital and seeing my mother for the first time. And I'm zipped in into a tent-like formation, they call it a posy bed, where you're zipped in from the outside in and my mother is sitting in the chair next to me by the bed holding my hand and tears are just streaming out of her eyes and I can't talk because I try saying hi or something. I knew that she was my mom but I knew that I could not talk physically unable to speak verbally. Um, so my mom is telling me, you know, Mal, you just had an accident. Um, we're at Craig Hospital. She gave me the same story over and over and over, more times a day than not. And she just let me know really sweetly and gently that this is what happened. You had an accident in your home. You cannot talk. You just woke up from a coma. The right side of your body is paralyzed. And I thought it was dreaming. I'm like, oh my gosh, why would my mom ever be telling me any of this? And so when she was sharing this story with me, I'm thinking, no, like, why would I have these dreams? Like, this is absurd. And you know how you can kind of like have the same scary dream or traumatic dream over and over and over for a couple of weeks and not really understand, and not every night, but not really understand why you're having it, but it's for a greater subconscious reason and purpose. Well, I thought, okay, so maybe this is one of those. Maybe I'm just having the same dream every night. It got a little scary until about two weeks after and I tried to stand up after going to the restroom and I had to have two nurses with me at all times but I rang my buzzer and one nurse came and she tried to get support at this time I was in pull-ups I'm a 21 year old baby all over again and I just graduated from diapers to pull-ups so it's a big deal I'm like oh my gosh I cannot have an accident I need another nurse in here stat and so press the buzzer one nurse came She's trying to get help, and I explain, you know, and by explain I you mean know, a mumble to the nurse. Like I want to get into um, underwear. I'm ready for, you know, underwear now. I just graduated from diapers and then pull-ups. Want to move to underwear, and so she takes me alone, and that was like a really big deal. And. When she wasn't looking, I tried standing up, and I face planted on the bathroom floor. Then it wasn't bad, and it was just like a slip out and fall, and I probably am dramatic about it. But in my eyes, it was super dramatic at the time. And uh, I realized that she wasn't fibbing. Nobody was kidding. This was real life, and I have a lot of work to do. And so throughout the process, I just realized how important goal setting was, and I made little goals along the way. So my first goal was to be able to brush my teeth alone, and the right side of my body was paralyzed, temporarily paralyzed. And so I had an arm sling, and so I used this arm sling to help me be able to brush my teeth little things that we take for granted, and it's just like, wow, I can do this, and it seems so natural, but when you can't do it, and you don't understand why you cannot do it, it's really like, ah, shucks, what do I do now, and it can be really frustrating, and it can get you down and think, oh, I'm not good enough, and all of these limiting beliefs can start to form about yourself, and that's a huge Huge, huge complication with any injury, but especially a traumatic brain injury when you have trauma. And so your brain already doesn't know correctly, like, how to process a situation or cognitively how to even think about it and make a plan. So um, that is what I initially remember. And then, um, yeah, just life. Sorry. Wow.
0: This is is really something for even a listener to process because it, you mentioned it being surreal, I think. And I, I can't imagine what that felt like. It's one thing to process something that's happened. And I'm sure a lot of people out there can relate uh, to processing something that's happened after an accident. Cause there's sometimes there's that bit of, of, of shock time, you know, you're in shock. Uh, Is this really happening? And then you process what is actually the reality of the situation but not being able to remember what has actually happened and having to have someone tell you <laughs> every day takes it to the next level. How did you cope with that particular piece of this? And it being, you know, because this is very specific, having a brain injury, how did you cope with the anxiety attached to that? Not that it, I'm just imagining that, that there would be anxiety. I mean, there's other uh, diseases where people start to forget, have forgetfulness, right? My grandmother had Alzheimer's. So, you know, and that there's definitely, I know, an anxiety attached to that forgetfulness, but how, how did you cope with anxiety?
1: Sure. Um, It's really about your breathing. It's something so simple and the techniques that are just, you know, like elementary level, like our breathing. It really helps. Meditation, yoga, finding the mindfulness that speaks to you is going to be the best practice that you can do to help you kind of ease yourself down from the stress, from the anxiety, from the inflammation that's causing you to like not think clearly or have clarity at all anywhere because you're so worked up about that one specific thing. So for me, not remembering anything was really hard. And it's still hard. You know, I'm like, I try to explain it to people that, you know, the first 21 years of my life, I remember bits and pieces. And, you know, it's really small, and they dwindle down. But the last like, eight years of my life, nine years of my life, I remember it like like that, like liquidy split So when people, you know, try to take it back and go back in time, it's hard for me to understand what exactly they're wanting from me because I can't put myself back there. And when that happens, I have to really just lean in on to my breathing and understand that this is a process and understand that there are no right or wrong, good or bad answers to this. It just is. And so in order for you to move forward, you need to allow people to understand, like, I have a brain injury, this could happen, I am very forgetful, da 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 but being a traumatic brain injury survivor in general, we learn about breathing and meditation and mindfulness early on, so we are, you know, making these tools in our personal toolbox become so engraved that it's just secondhand nature when something happens and you have to lean into breathing if you're feeling, you know, anxiety or stressed.
0: And I think that is such a a beautiful thing to outline there because regardless of why you're experiencing the anxiety, anxiety can feel just as intense and to everyone, to anyone Mm -hmm. experiencing it. So the why then becomes irrelevant and you're just left with the symptoms, if you will, Mm -hmm. of anxiety. So, and I know I've suffered with that in the, in the past before too. And I think that it's just something that is so real and so, the breathing is so important to mention and the movement. And speaking of movement, I know that you're an endurance athlete. How has being an athlete helped you cope through all of this?
1: Well, first, just hearing those words out of your mouth it gives me tears. You know, being able to be an athlete, period, is huge. And having this opportunity to be able to compete is huge, when you bring it up to the level of endurance athlete, um, that takes it to a new dimension. I became an Ironman 70.3, and um, I've done two of them. I'm doing my first full Ironman in 2021. And why I'm so into Ironman and training and endurance athletes and racing is because um, I was an athlete my whole life growing up, you know, college athlete as well. But when I physically was unable to function and even walk, talk, eat, go to the bathroom, anything on my own, I was like, ooh, setting goals. And so like I mentioned, my first goal was being able to brush my teeth. And then a few weeks later, I was you know, putting my hair up. And a few weeks later, I was getting to be involved in the workout class, in the pool. And my first day in the pool, I walked alone and I didn't need anybody to help me. And it brings tears to my eyes because I was a lifeguard. And swimming was such a big part in my life and who I was and who I am. And so I'm like, ooh, I can walk by myself in the pool. So water and I have a different relationship. And I'm just so honored to be able to share that. Um, and then learning how to get my arm back. I was temporarily paralyzed on the right side of my body. So I started off on a hand bike and i would push one or one hand at a time you know for 5 minutes or 3 minutes or 1 minute or whatever it was and that's how i was able to get dexterity back in my hand and mobility back in my arm and when that worked, you know, doctor, well, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I'm thinking when that worked, doctors saw, you know, my passion about working out and they knew that I loved working out and they knew I was an avid snowboarder and I'm um, a gymnastics coach and gymnast and I loved all of the above. And so when they um, realized that I could pedal with my hands, I then moved into a stationary bike and that was huge. And um, when I was on the stationary bike, I just felt invincible like each pedal I was releasing something. I could just let go of anything and clear my head and have and bring myself to like a meditative state and that 's what running did for me prior to the accident. Sorry, um, what running did to me prior to the accident was it was my meditative way to just zone out and just let loose and let all of my thoughts go. So when I was on the stationary bike after the accident and I had the same kind of feeling, it was very, very powerful. And so um, that's kind of where it started. And then when I was unable at the time to run, or I hadn't tried, rather. Um, I had a dream that I was going to raise money for my favorite race back at home for the hospital to help me do outpatient therapy. I did outpatient therapy at Genesis in Iowa, and um, it was amazing. You know, I did not go in there with a great attitude. In fact, I went in there thinking like I was okay, like everything was fine. And then they had me draw a clock and I drew it wrong and I put the big hand, little hand incorrectly and it, my clock only went from one to 11 and that tells you like how my brain was working at the time. But um, so Genesis, they did so much to help me get to where I'm at now and I wanted to get back to them. So before I could run, I'm like, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to raise money. It's going to be the, the best and it's called the Bix. And so the Bix is a really well-known race in Davenport, Iowa. And my mom helped me to be able to plan this, to be able to have the opportunity to even do this rather, and I met with um, a few of the news stations and the papers that are local in our community, and I was able to cross a big goal off the list. So again, setting those goals, those are huge, and um, endurance along the way. Now I'm you know, biking, learning how to write my name and have mobility in my whole body, and I'm being able to run and give back, but I haven't even run before. And so that was a whole other story in its own. Um, and just having those opportunities. So going back to being an endurance athlete, um, in 2016, I decided to compete in my first triathlon since the accident. And again, I was in a coma, I'm paralyzed, I broke the right side of my face, swimming in water, I'm drinking water when my face is underwater no matter what. Even if I'm breathing out, does not matter. Water is coming in, so um, that was a whole lesson in itself. My first triathlon, I showed up with those goggles that like go over your eyes. They're, they're huge and they cover your nose, so you just look like not even a real person, and it's hilarious because I had my nose plug under the like the nose holder because. Water was seeping in. Needless to say, it was not even like four strokes out. I took off the glasses and I took off the nose plug and I was like, I'm finishing this with or without goggles or nose plug, but I can do it. So I swam backstroke the whole way. It took me fifty-two minutes. Fifty-two minutes for like a half mile. And I swim one point two miles in like an hour. So if that tells you anything to where I started to where I'm at now and So I just kept going and when I got out of the water, my two girlfriends were there and they're cheering me on and just letting me know that like I can do it. And they're yelling, Smile, you woke up, just love me, you can do this. And so I'm like, wow, I can. So I get on the bike and I'm going and I'm riding a 1969 metal frame with a kickstand bike. Her name is Prudence, and she was amazing. She is amazing, but she's so big, so old so heavy, so heavy, so heavy, and I remember there's this last hill, and there's a railroad track right before you really go up to the incline, and it's probably like, um, a quarter mile, like at a slant, before you get to flat territory and you are in the finish area. And so I'm like, okay, Molly, you just have to make it over to the railroad tracks. Then you can take a break by standing up, taking a breath, getting water, and going up the hill. And so I'm like, I'm talking to myself every way. I'm just like making goals in my head like, we're gonna get to this sign, we're gonna take a drink, we're gonna get to the light post, we can stand up, we're gonna do this, do that, do this. Until I got done and on top of the hill with this climb and then I get off the bike and now it's time for the run and I'm thinking wow this is incredible like as long as we can train our mind and mentally like train ourselves to walking ourselves through the process we can accomplish anything that we want, so then I get to the run and this run is beautiful it's more like a trail run and you're going around the water and it's just gorgeous and I'm yelling at everybody because I'm so honored to even be able to compete in this triathlon and it was a sprint try and it took me like two hours but it's a sprint try and I'm just thinking oh my gosh like people don't understand how lucky this is like how blessed we are and maybe you do but like when we really think about it and I really thought about it I'm like fuck you were paralyzed. You were in a coma, and now you just not only swam, defining all odds and overcoming a big goal and a big obstacle for you. You got on a bike, and you... Um, your accident happened, going downstairs, breaking your face, demolishing a table, like, you got on a bike, you could be scared that you're not going to have the balance, you could be scared and fearful of so many things, that was cool, you got off, now you're doing this run, you're cheering for everybody, you're letting them know that they can, and it's like, oh, I have bracelets that are smile, you all got bracelets, I don't know, Maybe you can see that, but it's smiley woke up bracelet. And so, like, I'm wearing a ton, and I'm giving them out to everybody that I see that's giving me a second just to say thank you. Thank you for letting me be on your journey. Thank you for letting me cheer you on today on, during this race. And thank you for showing up because you showed up for yourself today. Smile, you woke up and so that's really where it started and now I can say I'm an Ironman and like I said I'm doing a full Ironman in Madison I, I believe is the chosen course they have not opened up res- registration yet but um, for next year so I'm really pumped to be doing that and it's just another way for me to raise awareness of traumatic brain injuries letting people know you know consumption of water is huge making sure that like our nutrition is super on par like just making sure that we're aligned within our body and if we are feeling stressed or anxiety or X Y Z. What are we doing to help that? What are we doing? What are we choosing to do to calm ourselves down? So
0: that's really. You just gave me so many golden nuggets in here. I don't know if I can even keep track. So I might have to include those in the show notes. But, uh, <laughs> but a couple of golden nuggets. You know the importance of small wins when you were just taking me through the triathlon. And in, in describing those small victories that were small, they were, it's the ironic part is that they were, they were small in step, but they were large at the same time. But I think that that's so important to celebrate those. I think that we forget to celebrate those and those really impact the way that we feel. And, you know, and then you talk about the power of the mind, what, what a golden nugget there. I mean, in the power of perspective the power perspective, you know, to our listeners out there, I want you to go back and listen to the story next time you get upset because your food was delivered late to your door or whatever trivial little thing. I mean, and and it's relevant, right? We're sitting here, we're in our own little bubbles. These are our lives. Some of us, you know, have less to deal with um, than what you've had to deal with most certainly, but I think there is power in perspective. And if we can just wake up, And remember how lucky we are that will influence everything. And especially the way that we feel and we conduct ourselves as we go on through, you know, uh, sometimes just an average day, just having that perspective is really, is really powerful. So I want to thank you for that and your perseverance and your passion for life is just so, outstanding. It's so powerful. It's so motivating. I know why you're a life coach now. Trust me, if anybody needs one, I'm gonna be like, I've got the person for you. (laughs) I mean, you, you you're giving me chills over here. So one thing I want to ask you is about your accident is how much do you think influences the, the decisions you make today? for your future regarding your accident. So in other words, do you see the world completely different now? How how has your perspective on life changed entirely? Because I know you described your life before and you've always seemed to be, from what you describe this person, it's really, you know, vivacious, full of life full bodied, if you will, you know, someone (laughs) that wants to do it all. And I don't really see that maybe that has changed except for maybe you're more, you know, you tell me maybe you're more pointed and focused because of your mission now, Mm
1: -hmm. but,
0: but really how has your perspective changed?
1: Ooh, that is such a good question, because you nailed it on the head. I am vivacious. I'm bold. I'm in your face. I'm obnoxious at times, but love, love and kindness solves all. And what really came from this accident is just that. It's, you know, if we just live with the mentality and the mantra that love solves all, and being kind, being kind and compassionate to one another, because you don't know what somebody... in a wheelchair, who looks completely fine, but why can't I walk? You know, you don't know what somebody is going through, or somebody who has a crooked face, and it's broken, and understanding why does she look beat up? Like, why is she in that wheelchair? What happened? And so, we just don't know. We don't know what anybody else is going through. So, I think that the biggest shift for me, like, my personality hasn't changed that much other than I'm way more loving and compassionate towards others. Um, but that really wasn't a big flip. I would say the biggest change is my impact and how I feel that like I now have an opportunity and 1% to get their life back. So of course, you no know, opportunity is right there, but it's like, what is my impact going to be like my message to others? Like how can I impact in help as many people as possible, as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral, and so um, I would say the only, I would say love. I became way more of a lover, and I just want to give everything I have to anybody, and I want to give you an example. So I have a hat, or I had a hat, and after the accident, I went to um, a Halloween gathering for um co-workers and it was my buddy brett wetzel um who i went to college with and so he moved to my hometown and he's like oh molly i we're having a word get together if you want to go and it was my first th- time being asked to do anything since the accident and i wore this really cute like um red and black checkered hat and i knew that i had two similar but they were not the same one and one woman made a comment like i like your hat and i was like oh here you can just have it And I didn't think in my mind, like, you know, by giving somebody something like this, they will keep asking for more and more and more. And she did. And she was like, well, can I have your purse? And I felt really like, oh, I was like taken back by that because I'm like, now you're just getting greedy. Of course, I'm not going to give you my purse. And that was a lesson for me. But it was like, oh, okay, good thing that happened early on, because now, you know, the extent of like your generosity and how people can take advantage of that And that's for you to be aware of when it's happening and how to handle it and maneuver through it. But that's up to you. So it was a good lesson early on that, you know, I was giving this woman a hat and that was probably silly to do, but I would not change it for anything because I would do it again tomorrow or today. Um, but, you know, the kindness and just wanting to help so many people in whatever fashion that looks like. That has been something that is now um, not as street smart, if you will, as before. It's now, you know, I'll take my chances because I'm pretty self-aware and I, I trust myself is mainly bottom line is I trust myself and I understand the situations I choose to get into. I'll probably be fine with being my most kind, loving, compassionate person out there.
0: I love that. Yeah. I,
1: you
0: know, you just, you just exude it. Like, I, I, I can't even explain it entirely. Just uh, knowing you for a couple of years and talking to you a few times on the phone, every time I talk to you, there's just this energy about you. And it's infectious. And mm-hmm. it's real. And it's honest. And I just so appreciate it. It's so refreshing. And I also think this is a good segue because you said online once that, and I'm going to quote you, I understand the other side of the wall too, being stuck, constantly being bogged down by others who are spewing mm-hmm. inadequate information and nonsense your way, a place where you are defined by your looks, not what you can contribute to the team, i.e. careers, hobbies, etc. a place where you do not have a voice. You are told to keep quiet, mind your manners and join society out of respect. Mm-hmm. Now on this show, we love to talk about beauty and how it impacts us in the real world and in the ways that are less spoken of. And when I read this, I thought you, you have to tell me more. So please tell me more. Talk to me more about what you meant when you said a place where you're not defined by your looks. Where was that coming from?
1: So that is coming. Thank you so much. First and foremost, thank you for asking that, because that sentence that you just spoke um, really hits home. Every time I hear it, I read it, anything. And from a young age, as a woman, it's, you know, you need to put on makeup. You need to do your hair. You need to paint your nails. You need to brush your teeth. You need to change your shoes because they don't match. And you need to match. And you need to do all of these things to be appropriate. So from a young age, I've always not matched. I've worn polka dots and stripes. I've worn colors and mismatched socks and sunglasses and anything out of the norm that could be seen as, you know, not appropriate. And by who and whose standards are those? So when you grow up and now you're, you know, going into middle school and high school, you think, I have to look a certain way. I have to be a size zero or four or two or whatever, and I have to have my hair done and I need fake nails, acrylics and, you know, all these things that we do to ourself, but we don't really realize what we're doing. So, for example, acrylics, well, that's going to ruin your nails and um, then, you know, you'll have a harder time to grow out your natural nails and be the real, most authentic version of yourself. Getting her hair done, that's something that I wish I never got started doing, and I get it done once a year, and that's only because my brother's wife, will fiance, their wedding is in a couple of months. Um, she's a hairstylist, so I get it done once a year when I go home by her, and other than that, it's like I want to be natural. I want to be my most natural, authentic version of myself because in the accident, I was broken, literally broken. You know, my right side of my face was broken. They were going to do plastic surgery. That never happened. Um, But they were going to fix me by using plastic surgery because they think that a crooked face is not appropriate. And my mother's like, "Oh, let her wake up first, you know, then we'll talk about it. And we didn't talk about it because there was nothing to talk about after. We're not doing that. I want to be me. I want to be my most authentic self. I want to be seen as who I am and not by the hair done and the nails and the makeup. And moving along to that, then you get into the professional world. And when I'm coming back as a 21-year-old baby to the real world and trying to be an adult, I think I got my first big girl job at the age of 23, 24, 24. And so that kind of um, paved the way for me to understand and interpret how businesses ran and how women were treated. And when I was 25, the reason why I started Smiley Woke Up is because I I was working for a podiatrist and I broke my heel completely off in this crack in front of the owner and um, the podiatrist, the doctor. And um, he asked on a call that I missed later that afternoon after I worked all all morning doing marketing outreach, he was like, what do you do for my my company? And I'm thinking, I do nothing. My vision went black. I was so mad. It was just fuming. And I'm like, I do nothing. Because you don't see me for my respect. You see me for what I'm doing for your company. And you know how I'm showing up for your company. But now I show up for myself. And you see me by what I can offer through, you know, the amount of clients and the customers that I'm bringing in and all these things. But when it comes to me and personally, whether I'm hurt or I'm bleeding or injured or I'm just sick, it's like you don't care. So that was like my first lesson. And then I decided that, no, I'm done. I put in my two weeks and I decided I was taking a leap of faith and I was 25 and I knew that I was going to be off of my mother's health insurance in six months. And so if now, like if any time was the right time, it was right now. So then I founded smile. You woke up during those, that that a lot of times, and um, I learned then. I'm like, okay, so we have a, a voice. Like women have a voice. We can do whatever we want. Nobody needs to give us permission. Shake our hand. Tell us that we look good doing it. Nobody needs to tell me anything. Like I can just do it. I can make this decision for myself. And then, so after a few more years passed, I really started understanding how that plays a role. How your looks, how your features, how how your looks play a role in that women don't have a voice. When you're in a corporate world, you are seen by your, I was personally um, seen by my looks and I had to deal with those implications and everything else that followed that. And it's like, people aren't corrupt. And then in women, you know, we might be thinking men are corrupt, workplaces are corrupt, corporate lives are corrupt. And, you know, you might have some corruptness in those categories, but it's not everywhere and it's not everyone, And so as long as you feel aligned with you and you are staying grounded and you are understanding that you are being, you know, legal, ethical, moral, and doing all that you can, and that you're doing it and showing up for yourself, if you run into situations where you find disrespect or you find that your looks are being um, more important than what you actually bring to the company and your knowledge and your wisdom and the tools and maybe the different strategies that you pitch to your team... You can stand more firmly in your own two feet and understand when it's time to stand up and take action because no women should ever be bogged down. And the thing is, we do have a voice and we don't get praised about having a voice. And in school, they don't teach you like women have a voice. And when I was in school, it was more like the men are, I'm from the country, so the men are going to be the breadwinners of the family and the women are gonna, you know, cook and clean and have jobs, but they're really in charge of the kids. So it's like this whole different mindset and mentality from back then until now. And it's just like, well, we get to make the decision. And nobody ever tells us that you're limiting beliefs from when you were seven years old. They're still going to haunt you when you're 30 or 37 years old. So unless you address those now and understand that we do have the power to change our mind and we have the power to make the decisions and stand up for ourselves in the workplace or if we're battling with whatever it may be, um, eating disorder, you know, you think you need to be a certain size, you're going to, you're going to lean into maybe if I want to be anorexic or bulimic or with eating, or if you're, you know, really focused on losing this weight and doing a workout program, but not doing it the right way because your body needs food, your body needs hydration, your body needs love. And it kind of all goes back to the same thing of love solving all, you know, the more that we have love within and love for ourselves, self-love. We need to know who we are first and foremost before we can love these people out here and love anybody because we're important. And we need to know that we have a voice and we need to honor the little voice in our ear that's saying that wasn't right or that remark really rubbed me the wrong way because I felt that it was disrespectful and that I wasn't heard um, or that I don't have a voice or that whatever it may be. Um, I went through a situation a few months ago where I was horribly disrespected on so many levels and nobody thought that I wouldn't stand in my own two feet I would just listen and take it and react how I always did and okay I'll get better or I can do that or make excuses Make excuses. First and foremost, we should never make excuses because they're for the birds. And we can make the change to not do that. But I did not make that change. And so instead, I would make excuses and I would show up for that person and that girl. And that girl didn't have a voice. And that girl lost her self-confidence. And that girl was not who I wanted to be in society. So in order to change that girl, I had to change this girl and make decisions within that really, you know, would help me reach those goals. And that's living and speaking and acting in the mentality and way and mindset to reach the goals that you have. And so when I went through that situation of disrespect, I'm like, wow, I have a voice. And I thought, how many more women out there like me understand that, you know, it might be, um, so many different things, so many sides and signs of disrespect can go on in a workplace. But um, with those implications going on in the workplace, like, what can I do? How can I help these women? How can I help others understand that we are strong enough? And if I'm a size 4 or I'm a size 12 or I'm a size 16, doesn't matter. What is in here matters. What is it? this knowledge base Brain, up here, this matters. Like, looks do not matter, but your heart, that matters. Love and your kindness and compassion and integrity and your morals, that matters. And that is what a workplace and any place should really be looking for. And we as women, we should want to be noticed by those qualities about us, not by our looks or by what we choose to wear or what we buy or how we smell or any of that, because the person that you said hi to is going to forget it in the next 20 seconds of when they walk away, you know? So it's really holding ourselves to a level of just honorability. Wow. I think that is so deeply profound.
0: Everything that you just said, especially uh, when you were talking about your point of view and your, your twenties and then carrying that over to your, previous work experience and it's so important for people women particularly to hear in the workplace that they do have a voice and it is important and it is relevant I think that there is probably a lot of and this is me speculating and I've worked a bazillion different jobs and offices (laughs) in my lifetime uh, so it's from my own experience, too. I think there's a little, you know, trepidation or fear in, in putting your voice out there because, you know, people, people need their jobs. And there's the fear of, you know, what consequence might be attached to that if they, if they are to, you know, come out of their shell or be brave enough to speak up. What would you recommend to someone in that position, maybe a position similar to yours where they were disrespected uh, in the workplace, or maybe something's not right, and they feel it's their responsibility to speak up, how, how, what would you recommend that they do? Like, how do they, how do they muster up that uh, bravery, if you will, to, to have their voice be seen or heard without that fear that, you know, okay, I'm, I could lose my job and tomorrow and not
1: be able to feed my kids, Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, fear is the opposite of faith. And so how do you muster up the courage within? You have faith in yourself. You know, I'm showing up for myself today and make that your mantra. You know, take a week and make it your mantra, like maybe I'm just overreacting or I'm being too emotional because this, that, the other, this is going on in my life. So maybe I'm taking this energy and you know, misplacing it. So Instead of making a rash decision or being irrational, wake up every day and understand that your mantra for the day is fear is the opposite of faith. So when you wake up every morning and you understand that you're not going to be fearful, you're choosing to tell fear and your ego to, bye, I have other priorities today. And you're going to lean on that faith and understand that I'm confident. I'm enough. I can do this. Try that for a week. Um, I... I think, as women, it's really important to ask questions and a respectable anybody, anything, any company, any partnership, any relationship. If you ask questions and you are not getting an answer or you have a discriminating answer or you get fired like I did, um, you are choosing to work in a place that doesn't serve you. And so I was referred to as a dog by my last company And I asked um, if they were inadvertently calling me a bitch. And I asked a few more questions when they spoke to me in a really degrading manner via email. And so it's all documented, it's all laid out. It was super kind, it was super nice, and it was super with love and compassion for myself. And just wanting to gain the bigger picture and understanding what that looked like. And instead of getting any respect, um, they kicked me out of all computer systems and they sent me an email saying that they accept my resignation. And I'm like, I clocked in, I have documentation of that, I pictures, but it really, what it came down to was they did not want to answer or give me any answers to the email when I was just asking questions. And so the fear that I could have had was, oh, I'm scared I could lose my job if I hit send on this email asking, did you just call me a bitch? But like how I really feel inside is like, how dare I work for a place that like holds that respect level of myself. So that gave me some inner work and alignment that I had to do and work on. But it was the fact that I wasn't going to be fearful. I was going to stand strong in my own two feet and have faith that no matter what comes out of this, I'm not doing anything that I would be ashamed of or embarrassed of. And in fact, I'm really proud of myself for taking the courage within to stand with my own two feet and ask, what is this? Why did you make this comment to me? You know, and it's just as women, we get bogged. Men probably do too. I'm not even going to discriminate. It's probably men too. But women more than men get bogged down by thinking like they're threatening my job. And that happened. It happens all the time. You know, Um, my job is being threatened. And so they're doing everything that they can to get under your skin and have you live the fear mentality or with that mindset. And who does that? Like people don't do that. And I should have been way more aware and in that I needed to make a decision and change. And I was, I just didn't want to do it because of those limiting beliefs and excuses replaying in your head. But the problem is friends, like we will never know our purpose and our power until we choose to say by fear, I'm going to lean on faith because I know that I can do anything I set my mind to and getting to that place, it might be painful, it could be painful, or it could be the most rewarding experience, or both, and the thing is, like, we don't need to worry about the journey to get there, you just need to make the decision to do it, and that is just taking one foot and putting it in front of the other, and seeing what you're capable of, because we all are capable of accomplishing our goals in whatever fashion that may be, but we're all capable of doing that.
0: Wow that was thank you for sharing all of that I, I there are so many golden nuggets in here also that I just want to point out for our listeners and you know the that fear is the opposite of faith which you said a couple of times I think that that's a really powerful mantra as you mentioned and also about the limiting beliefs. You know, you and that you deserve a new narrative. When you were talking, Mm -hmm. it's so funny how we can all apply these things to our own experiences. I don't think that anyone is left out of this equation. It's like we all experience these things just in different ways. You were talking about that and your experience of the workplace. And then I started thinking about my divorce and going through that and how there were limiting beliefs. But And then you were talking about how you just have to sometimes do it and, and kind of moving to not really knowing the the outcome, which is sort of, sort of taking a leap of faith. And, and so I was, it made me think of that. And so I'm just like going, Oh my gosh, so many people are going to relate to this on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you do deserve a, a new narrative. What you were mentioning earlier about having, having, you know, being attached to those thoughts from when you were seven years old, but now you're 30 or 40. And you, if you haven't ever addressed those, it, it would be it would be understandable that those would come up again. Right. I mean, why, why, if you don't address something, if you don't actually go through it, it just kind of sits there and and then it comes out and manifests in different ways as you get older. So those are so important, uh, such important things that you just mentioned uh, that everyone I think can apply to their lives. So thank you for sharing that. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned being a life coach and we're going to get more uh, in a second to smile, you woke up your foundation, but what, what actually was the trigger for making you want to be a life coach? Because that's a huge life endeavor.
1: First off, I don't think that, you know, what you just asked, and I think it's the perfect time to share something when you you made the comment that you know when we're 30 and 40 and we don't understand why this keeps coming back up unless we address it and until we change our thinking um we will always be recycling our same experiences and i think that that is so true for everybody and it's like until we change and make that decision to change is going to keep coming up over and over and over again and that kind of brings us to how i chose to be a life coach um I had uh, an experience where something at work happened and um, it led into a bigger thing than imaginable. And I was coming home to a boyfriend and I was just being, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And he would ask, what do you want? And I would tell him, you know, my goal is smile. You woke up is to help as many people as possible. And he came from like an educational background and, um, his family is either education or politics, and so that's kind of a weird combination, but it really helped me in a lot of ways understand um, that I do have a voice, and I have power, and I can make this change, and I can make the decision for me, and when I was being harassed and stalked by an old director, and I saw him outside my new apartment I had moved, and he's waiting behind my car, I'm like, oh my gosh, the decision has to be me now, and so same boyfriend I called him and I'm like um, whoever is here um, will you please come to my house and get me and so he came and picked me up we left my car here and all my stuff and I stayed at his house in Boulder for a few days and while I was staying there he's like get out of this you know what do you want to do I'll help you uh, like a minute with you like whatever you want and whatever you need I'm here and let us just like let's lean on each other let's help you create whatever it is And I'm like, well, I want to help people. And he asked if I ever thought about being a life coach. And I'm like, I thought about it. But, you know, getting started and I was making all these excuses from my limiting beliefs and my ego and fear and all this. But all that really means is my limiting beliefs um, were just ambushing me left and right. And so it was not until in May when um, this boyfriend and I, we separated. And I'm like, I'm done losing. I'm done losing. I'm gonna start standing and like firm in what I want and just really getting clear on what it is that I want. And when I got clear with myself on what it was that my goals were and what I wanted to accomplish, I'm like, wow, it's so clear. I need to be a life coach. Um, my last year, so many, so many things have happened. And it's like this doesn't even happen to real people, but to Molly Kane, absolutely, and just watch out for a book about it or something, I don't know. But it's just like um, that's how I got started, and so now my mission is to help women with the, whether they're going through a transition, whether they're seeking personal development, or you know they're dealing with trauma or confidence. It's like I have so much to contribute to all of those areas to help people maybe not make the same decisions that I did, and maybe have a different you know outcome. Of whatever it is that it looks like to them so I just want to help others reach their goals and um, if it were not for all of this happening in my past which I'm so grateful for I'm grateful for every experience because that journey brought me to right here and I would not take it away for a minute or a second like I love who I am where I am and I just I'm just getting started so I can't wait for the future
0: Wow it's it's reminding me of a quote that someone gave me from my last podcast that I just recorded which is life's rejection is often god's protection that's what she said <laughs> lisa hart I'm gonna write that
1: down
0: and yeah i'm i'm not sure if if she took the quote from somewhere else but it it, it that's where it came from it came from lisa hart and when you were talking it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That is, that is exactly, that is exactly on point with what it is that you're communicating and in your whole mission with smile, you woke up and while, and why uh, you're called unsinkable pain.com. <laughs> which is a name that I absolutely love, but it's just so indicative and embodies everything that you stand for and that you are. And I just love it so much. So I have to ask about a little bit more about Smile You Woke Up because I know that it's a nonprofit organization that you created that's designed to provide awareness and tremendous Of traumatic brain injuries to uh, the communities, while providing support tools and tips and TBI prevention insight. And one thing I want to ask is, how can people get involved if they're inspired by your mission, like so many of us are, or maybe they are going through this themselves, or they know someone that has had the, you know, a tragic event that's led to to something like this? How can
1: people get involved? Sure. So um, first, again, thank you, because sharing what we can do together and how you know takes a village to make an impact so anything if anybody wanted to be involved with raising traumatic brain injury awareness or even learning more about it or maybe somebody like you said their neighbor or family member struggle from brain trauma and they're looking for different coping mechanisms and ways that maybe they can have different healing modalities with sleep with um, anger frustration with anything Um, the first place I would send them to would be smileyouwokeup.org and that is our website and we hold support group meetings every or bi-weekly on Tuesdays on um, the second and fourth Tuesday of the month and that is done via Zoom. We always post our Zoom meeting on our Smile You Woke Up Facebook page and there's also a link on the website too in case um, you're unable to go to the Facebook or um, you want to go to the link but we also if you go to our website And you subscribe to the smile you woke up tbi support tuesday meeting group it's on the right hand side towards the bottom um i send out a mailchimp email so you get all of the juicy details about what to expect during the upcoming meeting what the focus topics are going to be Um, maybe i'll have brain tips or maybe it'll be a recipe or maybe it'll be like an exercise Or maybe it'll be feedback from somebody else in the group. So there's always that opportunity to get more if you join our actual newsletter or um, the Smile You Woke Up TBI support group um, newsletter, that is. Um, So you can get information there. Also, um, if you wanted to be involved, you can always, in any capacity, you can always email smileyouwokeup at gmail.com. And that goes directly to me. Um, Again, anything that you think of Making an imprint and maybe it's, you know, you have a lot of runners outside, you have a nice neighborhood, that there are a lot of runners that go by, you want to put out a jug of water, like a big jug like you see at the baseball tournaments, you just have that out there for the runners that have water bottles and that's your way of giving back and your way about raising brain health you know, there are so many different ways that we can raise brain health and we can do it no matter what we're interested in and what our hobbies are. And if we're an an athlete or if we're a chess player, like we all can make an impact in some way. So if you want to have an impact with raising brain health and brain awareness, please email me. Um, woke up at gmail.com again. So, and then if you want to be a part of our group, which you are totally welcome to, that is going to be found at smileyouwokeup.org through the Zoom link, or you can go to our Facebook page.
0: I love that. That, that is so creative when you mention the water bottle because I think that so often people sort of turn away when they want to help, but they are just not sure how, if they don't have a lot of money. So you're saying, hey, we have a ton of ways that you can contribute and you don't have to like pour all of your money out of your pockets. You can be thoughtful and contribute and, you know, do something meaningful regardless of, you know, where you're coming from. So I love that. And I love that you're offering these virtual ways to connect online, especially during this COVID time. So people, you know, um, they, I was going to say, don't, don't have an, don't have an excuse, right? It's virtual, (laughs) they can, there's no excuse. Uh, We're, we're all about no excuses today here with Molly (laughs) Cain. So, you know, last but not least, I have to ask, because I think we can find so much love and meaning from people's favorite quotes. Uh, Do you have a favorite quote and why?
1: Yes, I do. I was telling you earlier, I'm like, there are so many quotes around me. I'm just not sure if I'm going to choose optimism or what fun I'm going to choose. But my favorite quote that I have right in front of me is on a lamp because I'm like, no, you want to be a light of love. Like you want this mission. You need to live in this every single day, every single time you can take a glance at this, read it, feel it, think it, believe it, achieve it. Like you can do it. So it is the blank is anything you want to become in life. The blank is anything you want to become in life. And I'm not sure who said it, and I'm not even sure where I got it, but it is become my mantra every single day because I ask myself, what do you want to become? Like, this is your chance, this is your choice, and this is your opportunity to wake up and decide and live that life and mindset. You know, you can do it.
0: That is so beautiful. I love that. You couldn't have picked a more perfect quote, and uh, and also I just want to thank you so much for being vulnerable with me today and our audience, and being so willing to share your story with us, Molly, because we can all learn and grow so much from your experience. And I think the most valuable thing about life setbacks is when you can take what you've been given—the good and the bad and the ugly—and you can mold it into something more meaningful and even more beautiful than what you understood before, just Mm -hmm. as you have. So I thank you for being such an inspiration to all of us and motivating us to consider all of our beauty and just how much more we're capable of. So I want to just say thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, you're the sweetest. Thank you. Those are really kind words that hit home. Well, they are
0: very true words. Now for our listeners, you can stay in touch with Molly at unsinkable Molly Kane and her foundation is smileyouwokeup.org. And she's also offering a coupon for 25 free 40 minute sessions for women experiencing trauma. Did I get that right, Molly? 25 free? I had to ask because when I wrote it down, I was like 25 free. That's a lot of sessions. That is an amazing offer. And we're going to include this in the show notes as well. So we're going to spell it all out for you guys. So you don't have to remember it, but I do want you to remember the more, you know, the
1: more you glow. Ciao for now.